Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. Today, our guest is Abby Medcalf. She is a relationship maven, psychologist, author, podcast host, TEDx speaker, and a woman in long-term recovery who has helped thousands of people think differently so they can create connection, ease, and joy in their relationships. She has over 30 years of experience. She is a recognized authority and sought-after speaker at organizations such as Google, Apple, AT&T, Kaiser, PG&E, American Airlines, and Chevron. She's been featured on CBS and ABC News and a contributor to HuffPost, Women's Health, and Bustle. She is the author of the number one Amazon best-selling book, Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner won't do a thing and host of the top rated relationships made easy podcast. So in this episode, we talk about her book, we talk about taking personal responsibility for your own feelings and the things that you can do to change that. Abby has a ton of energy, a ton of positive energy that she brings to this episode with practical advice and steps you can take that are backed up by research that can help you feel better and change your life. So I hope you enjoy this episode and get out of it as much as I did. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Dr. Abby Medcalf. Abby, please introduce yourself. 
Hi. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm really excited. I listen to you and tell my clients all the time to listen. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a relationship maven. I love I know. I watched your TED Talk. I'm so happy you watched. I'm really proud of that. And I have uh, a podcast also, The Relationships Made Easy. You know how to do that. And I'm uh, an author and I see clients and I speak a lot in corporate and do all the things, all the things. And I'm a mom and I'm in long-term recovery myself. and, And I've actually been running a group in a drug rehab for 35 years. Wow. I like that. So I've never given it up. No matter what else I'm doing in my life, no matter what else is going on, uh, I run some kind of group. You know, I do some sort of group. It just, it's, yeah, you know, that's what's under everything. So I totally get that. I I love group work. I love working with groups. It's, it's the most fun and, and so much cool stuff happens in groups. So I I totally relate to that. That's awesome. (laughs) So Let's just jump in and talk about your your first book, Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, which I love the title right there. Um, but let's just talk about how that, that came to be and, yeah. and how you got there and all of that. Sure, stuff. all the things. So yeah, because it actually is very intimately related with my sobriety, which is so funny. It's, um, which I think all things are, right? Um, right. So yeah, I'm a, a, in long-term recovery from heroin. And people meet me, they always, th- always think, you know, it was something lighter. I'm like, nah, I was a junkie. And I was very good though. I was very functional and I was very good at hiding it for many, many years. When I got clean, this is back in the 80s and we still say clean. I know the language right. has changed. But, um, <laughs> you know, when NA was, you know, literally a bunch of tough looking guys, like I was fearing for my life, you know, kind of thing going in the rooms. Right, and I used, right. to, uh, I used to lie and say it was just alcohol. In those days, you had to do that to go to AA meetings, you know, like that's how that all worked way back. So I, I feel like I've seen everything in <laughs> these last years in sobriety. But what happened was when I, you know, I became a counselor as so many recovering folks right. do, right? We yep. were trying to Strange. feel ourselves and I, you know, I do, did that. And then in that journey, I thought, oh, I really want to get to more people. So I then got a business degree and started working in business too. And one of the things that happened early on, I was at an internship many years ago at Hewlett Packard. And someone said to me, hey, you know, at the time I wasn't married. So it's my maiden name, which is Kleinwax. And he's like, Kleinwax, don't you know something about drugs? <laughs> Aren't you involved in <laughs> drugs? Like in the middle of this huge meeting, because I'm always out about sobriety, you know, I was always sort of out right, there yeah. with it. And um, I said, yeah. And he said, well, we've got this executive who's having trouble, you know, with alcohol. Can you, you know, have you done that? And I'm like, sure, you know. <laughs> Never had done that. I was like, yeah. And it started this other world where I was working with executives in trouble with drugs and alcohol. And in that, you know, I didn't know better. So I was started counseling them instead of coaching them, right? I don't, right, this is right. my background, right? I'm, so I start talking about their fam. We know that nobody is on their fifth DUI and they're happy at home, right? Like, we know this. Absolutely. We know this. Yeah. So I start asking those questions about their, this is all men, you know, about their wives and their kids. And, and you'll be shocked to hear they weren't happy in their marriages. They weren't present dads. They weren't. And so I started working with them on their relationships, which of course 
we know from what we do that the opposite of uh, addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection, right? right? We know this. Connection. It's all about it. And so that's what I worked with them on, how to feel really truly connected to other people. And their marriages were improving and their relationships were all improving outside of work. And I never met these people. And I started going, hey, what? wait, (laughs) this is crazy. And that's really how the book was born. That you can wow. be happily married and in a happy relationship if if you're not married listening, even if your partner won't do anything because it's all about what you do. And this is, I was applying this to my work with addicts. I was applying this to my work with norms, normies. I was applying it everywhere and it was working like gangbusters. And, I, and, you know, we know we have to take responsibility for our lives, right? And that's what, that's what this is. Yeah, absolutely. I- I was listening to your TED talk, which I would encourage everybody to check out. Thank you. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is exactly that point of taking responsibility through, uh, I want to say compassionate responsibility and being the, the positive element, I guess. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but no, you are. Oh, I love that. Well, I talk a lot about, and this is in my next book, which we were just discussing, which is, uh, you know, negative thinking sucks and not in a good way. And I talk a lot about how, what happens is that we calibrate to other people all the time, right? So I'm in a good mood. My partner comes home and now I'm in a bad mood because he, oh, sorry. And he comes home in a bad mood and now I'm in a bad mood and people do this all the time. And, or, you know, I'm doing, and then my, I walked into work and my boss was yucky. So now I'm in a bad mood and that has to stop that codependency of feelings. And so I talk to people a lot about being the dominant vibration in the room. You're, you're the dominant vibration. Have other people calibrate to you. Don't you calibrate to them? And this is part of the taking responsibility for you co-create every relationship you're in, every single one of them, you co-create them. So you have to take responsibility for that side of the street. You have to take responsibility, right, for what you create. Oh, yeah. And you want to be the positive momentum. Of course you do. And that could be hard to do in the beginning when you don't have that <laughs> mindset. You you uh-huh. kind of get stuck when you don't realize you have the power to shift that, if that makes yes. sense. Right. Well, so so we'll go here. Let, let's go here. I love I love when I'm, we're changing it up. So here's what you do. If so, if there's a car at the top of a hill and it starts to roll, do you want to stop it at the top of the hill or do you want to run to the bottom to try to stop it? And there's an obvious answer to that. Right? It's not true. Right. <laughs> you're gonna get smushed. You, you're gonna get smushed. But this is what people do all day. They allow their minds to have any thought they want to be on negative tracks all day long. And then around four o'clock, they, they are feeling depressed. They're, you know, don't, they are eating things they shouldn't eat. They're feeling overwhelmed. They're feeling like crap and they have very little left to give to their partners and their parents and their family after their workday. And that you're allowing this negative momentum all day. And then they try to stop it. They try to stop it then at four o'clock or five. it's too late. It is too late. You need to keep that car on the top of the hill all day long. So the first thing you have to do is wake up. When you wake up, the very first thing, think of what people do. First of all, they're hitting the snooze button. Don't get me started. The the research on the snooze button. Here's my favorite thing. You hate waking up so much that you wake up 12 times. Like, what are you doing with the snooze button? 
What? Stop it. Stop it. Do not put on the snooze button. It creates something called sleep inertia grogginess. I mean, there's tons of research on this. You will be more tired using snooze than if you just got out of bed. So that's number one. But the really important part is you are not keeping your first commitment of the day to yourself. So now your word means nothing. Like all the times I said I was going to get clean and I didn't. All the rehabs I was in, all the times I, you know, that you stop believing in yourself. That's one bad thing. But the other bad thing is that you wake up with this idea that it's not enough. Oh, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh, I'm just not enough. It's not enough. This is like laying in bed, eating a dozen donuts, smoking a bunch of cigarettes and thinking you're going to have a great day. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I was just about to say that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so those first thoughts, getting that momentum in a positive direction right away. And so what I talk about doing are two things when you first wake up. One is that you, the very first thing I do when I wake up, when the alarm goes off, uh, is I bring myself to present right in that moment. And I appreciate something that's happening. Usually it's my very high thread count sheets, which I find very, right. very comfortable. The fact that maybe, you know, it's very warm, all snuggled up to my man. Maybe that it's, you know, I'm looking at a picture of us on vacation, whatever it is. I just take a moment and bring my attention there. Like, oh, this is good. Right. This is good. And by the way, I'm not a gratitude fan. And after how many gratitude lists have we written in sobriety? How many gratitude lists have you written? I still write you gratitude lists. Okay, I, I like sure. gratitude lists. I here's what I like. I like appreciation. Gratitude. When we're thinking of when you're thinking of gratitude, and I'm not saying don't be grateful. I'm being cheeky here. Yeah, but I'm I know, not I saying know. don't be grateful. But think about it. When if I'm grateful that I have my beautiful home, I'm actually thinking of its opposite, which is being homeless. That I don't have a home. So you have a negative in gratitude. Also, gratitude is out there. Gratitude is my home, my thing, you know, this bigger thing. Really, when I'm appreciating in the moment, when I'm in that moment feeling how nice it is to be snuggled against, you know, my hubby's back, right? How warm it is and how lovely, lovely that is in this very moment in time that I'm okay. That is the gold. That's where that's yes. where sobriety lives. That's where happiness lives. That's where it's appreciating in a moment. And so the gratitude lists are great. And if you can just take one thing from your gratitude list and really feel it, feel it, feel the state of it, be in it, you will have so much more bang for your buck than writing 15 pages of something. Right. So I have a question because I think mm -hmm. this comes up for a lot of people. You know, we hear about these things and I, I totally agree with you. That's something that having appreciations and gratitude and nurturing that mindset to create that. But in the beginning, it can be really, really hard. I would love to hear about how that process started for you, that shift from that kind of negative focus that kind of engulfs us to moving it to this, this uh, appreciation and gratitude. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So... Right, because you can't come from where we come from and have a positive mindset. That's not. It can be really way. hard. <laughs> really it's hard. Like a, really a hard. Switch it on like this, and boom! I'm oh, I'm positive. You know. Well, and that's why I really like, by the way, this little appreciation in a moment of your sheets or something else, so that you're not trying so hard, right, to get somewhere. But 
you know, when I, I think like many of us, when we're first going to 12 step meetings, which was great, God bless and rehab and therapy and all the things I got sick of them. I got sick of them. I got to, you know, you get to that plateau and I try, I was like, what else do I need to do? And so I did, <laughs> cause I'm me <laughs> and I'm a nut. Um, so I, well, I did a course in miracles. I did, you know, which really was helpful. Right. But I also, uh, there was a Buddhist nun in one of my meetings very early on. I probably had three years, four years. And she introduced me to Buddhism, which is its own track. Right. right. Uh, but I also, I walked on hot coals with Anthony Robbins way back in the day when you could do that. This is like when there was 300 people in a room. 1985, right. like there, you know, he wasn't Anthony Robbins yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I did, I did Life Spring. I did Est. I did anything to try to take myself out of where I was, to try to understand better who I was and how to not blame myself for all my wasted time. You know, all all the things, all the shame I held from the things I had done. Oh, there was so much of it. Where do you think that switch was from moving from that to like, I'm going to invest in all of these things that are positive to me. There's, there seems to be like a transition or something changes within us. And then it's like, I'm going this direction now. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I think part of me was trying to prove myself wrong that life really did suck. And I was going to show that it did. Mm -hmm. I do. I think looking back, I was on a mission and I was also desperate. I, I was having a really hard time, uh, you know, staying, I, I was dry. Let's say, you know, I yeah. was not, I was not really truly clean. I was dry for a long time and I was desperate for anything. And I did do the classic. I was just listening to you interview somebody. I can't remember anyway. Um, uh, and he was talking about, we were, you guys were talking about the geographic cure and yeah, I did. The, I moved to Israel. How do you like that? I didn't just move a little. Yeah, I I moved and I moved a lot in early summer. I did. I moved a ton. And I, you know, so yeah, you bring yourself wherever you go. I get it. But different environments are often really helpful for different feedback yeah. and, and people's opinions of you and going places sometimes where no one knows you, you do have that chance to start over again. And that yeah. felt really good in some ways. And so I think that helped, you know, I think as with everything, it's a perfect storm. There wasn't one thing, you know, you read the stories of Bill and he's in the, these, you know, hospital rooms with guys who are dying of alcoholism and the hand of God comes through the window and there's a whole thing. I, I didn't have that. I don't even know what they're talking about. I had none of that. I had not giving up on myself. I had nine rehab. Yeah. I had, I'm just going to keep doing this. Something has to change. And yeah. I would say that's the number one thing I can say to people is don't give up on yourself. Have faith in yourself. Have faith in love, not fear. And that is one of the things that Course in Miracles taught me that I really gravitated towards, that I could have faith in fear, which I had no proof of, you know, that bad things are happening, that I had no proof of that. Or I could have faith in love, that good things were going to happen. I had no proof of that either, but I had no proof of the other. So right. why not? Let's try it yeah. out. Absolutely. And I think it has uh, a cascading effect as, as we start to pay attention to like these little things that you talked mm -hmm. about, these little appreciations that we can like kind of hold on to in the moment. Yep. I think it slowly does change us over time. Well, I'm, I don't know. 
if you've, I never heard you talk about, have you talked about the reticular activating system on the podcast, the RAS? No, no. Oh, talk oh, about, talk oh, about that. Oh, it's gold. It's gold. Okay. So, and what, let me say this too. Everything I learned in the rooms, of course, the miracles and other things, when I started reading this, I'm a research junkie, nut, crazy person. Uh, it was all proven by the research, by the science. So, and one of those things is called our reticular activating system or our RAS for short. And your RAS is a filter between your conscious and your subconscious mind. So when you consciously think of something, it sends it as an order or an instruction to the subconscious to look for it. And the best example I can give is if you've ever gotten a new car or even thought of a new car and suddenly that car is everywhere. Have you done this? <laughs> like, yes, I've done that. Yes. Wait, where are you? Nissan Pathfinders? Like what? How are they everywhere I look? Oh my gosh. And that is your reticular activating system. That's your RES. You had this conscious thought, I like this car. And so it sent it as an order to your subconscious to look for that car. Now, in the same way, if I think my husband's always nagging me, it will send it as an order to my subconscious to look for my husband nagging me. And I will find proof of it everywhere. Everywhere I'll see my husband nagging me. Right. But here's the really important part and the scariest part of the RAS is that it will filter out anything that doesn't match. So when my husband's appreciative, when he's loving, when he's kind, when he says, thank you, I will be Teflon for this. And I will tell you, I have couples in all the time and they are talking and, and I, you know, it's, I didn't say that. Yes, yeah. you did. I just said, thank you last night. I said, I appreciate the dinner last week. I said, and they're giving, they're listing all the things they did that were so, and their partner's like, it's like dismissing, they're, they're Teflon. It's just flying right off. It's not sticking because that RAS. So you can, you, what I am saying to do in the morning is you are, you are, uh, gearing your RAS for what you do want, not what you don't want. So in the morning, when you just take that one tiny thing, don't go big, don't go, I'm grateful for my whole life. I'm blah, blah, blah. just, wow. I'm looking at a seashell on a shelf. I'm in my room. There's some seashells we've collected on trips. And I'm thinking about how great that one trip was. And I'm feeling right. it and how much fun I had and how great it was, you know, being with my kids in that kind of environment, whatever, that's how you do it. Wow. That, that, that's such great advice. I mean, that's such great practical knowledge that anybody can start to do in this moment. Yeah. And it makes sense. You know, when you look at your book, you know, be happily married, even if your partner won't do a thing, right? This is mm -hmm. what you're doing. You're going to start noticing yep. these things that, that's and it. growing them. Yep. And the other thing, piece that goes with that, which I think I mentioned the TED Talk, I can't even remember anymore, but our conscious brains process information at a rate of 50 bits per second, while our unconscious or subconscious brains process information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. I want you to really think about that. 50 bits versus 11 million. So people don't hear what you say, they hear what you mean. So right. when you're not aligned, when you're full of doubt and anguish and upset and anxiety and all the things, that's what people pick up on. That That's what they get. So as you start to really align that and stop feeling that way, right? And really start to feel a little better, truly, that's how that starts to shift. That's how people pick up on something different. Yeah. And, and it grows and it grows over time Yes, and you can yes. see it. And that's really the point. I, you know, I had, um, a couple, this is right before the pandemic, but 
they were in my office having a little bit of a, you know, argument. And I don't really let people argue in couples, but I was kind of watching what the reaction was. And he was really sharing some feelings with his wife. He's newly sober, really sharing some feelings with his wife. And she, you could see her getting very uncomfortable with him being very real. And she's, she goes, well, I, you know, I just love you. I love you so much. And, you know, you really need to hear that. And I, I love, you know, that we're together. And he looked at me, he goes, see, I hate that. And she got upset. She's like, look, see, I say I love him and he doesn't like it. It's crazy. And I stopped everything. And I said, what you're feeling right now is fear. I could feel her fear, right? Of losing him, of what was happening. I said, so you say I love you, but the energy is fearful, is anxiety-based. Your, your right. partner is picking up on your anxiety. That's why they don't like hearing I love you. So the words are very nice, but it's not there. And people listening do this all the time. Their anxiety is driving them to say something to someone. And then they don't get the response they want. You know, and they're like, what happened here? Why aren't we connecting? It's because people hear what you mean, not what you say. They can feel where that's from. And that's why you have to be so in, better in charge of what you're feeling and really understand what you're feeling in a moment so that what's driving what you're doing is different. You know, before we came on the call, I jumped up and down a little. I got my energy really up and I was like, I want to be really inspiring for folks. I want them to really get something. I want them to walk away going, I could do that. I could do that one thing. That's what I wanted. And hopefully you feel it, you know, and we changed right. the conversation. Yeah, feel that energy. Yep. It, it goes back to what you were saying earlier as we were, we were just beginning to talk. You mentioned something about like just uh, taking the responsibility for your own feelings. And that's what you have control over. Yep. That's it, actually. That's the only thing you do have control over when you come down to it, right? And I do talk to people about planning their feelings. We sort of take our days and we, we plan everything, right? You plan your whole day. We plan to be here together today. You have a schedule. But for some reason, we don't realize how important it is to also plan our feelings. And you can plan them. You can decide. Like I just mentioned, I came on the podcast in a certain mindset with what I was going to bring. I was planning how I'm going to feel on this podcast. I, you know, before I meet with a client, I do the same thing. Before I go home to be with my family, I stop. I set intention. I I think about how I want to be walking in the door. This is how you plan your feelings. You, you should plan them. You should be, there's nothing more important than your feelings. I don't care. You could have the most perfect day. It goes off really well. If you feel like crap, it wasn't a good day. Right, right. So and nothing I think more important than your feelings. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I think that's such an important mm -hmm. mind shift change because we... We can feel out of control with our feelings and they can overtake us and then they control everything we're doing. They control what decisions we make. They control the mood of, like you said, a trip. It could be really bad. And mm -hmm. because you're, whatever reason, your feelings ticks off for that moment. And yet you have some power here. Yes. You have some power have, to shift that and change that. It. Yes, yes. And so what, let's say... I just had this the other day, I was going into a, uh, I do corporate work still, and I was going into a team meeting where there's a lot of anxiety and angst and anger and stuff. And I found myself sort of dreading it in my head. I was like, oh, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be so draining. And I caught, thank God I do this. I practice what I preach. I caught myself and I was like, no, 
we are going to all feel great when we leave the meeting. I'm going to bring the energy. I'm going to make sure that everyone feels heard and listened to. And people are going to feel that way when they leave. They're going to go, wow, I really had a change today. And that's the energy I brought to the meeting. And better yet, I told them, I said, hey, before we started the meeting, I said, you know, I was actually kind of dreading this meeting. Was anybody else? And people were kind of looking at each other like, did she just say that? And I said, but I'm not now. I'm excited. We are going to leave this meeting in a good mood. Da, da, da. And I told them what, what I was thinking and feeling. And I, and I went around. I said, I want to hear other people's intentions right now. What are you bringing? What, what are you going to do right now to make sure that we leave in that way? And everyone got really into it. Yeah. And we had a different meeting, as you might imagine. Yeah. And you shift the whole experience and the whole thing with that, with that kind of intention. Yep. And you do it purposely. Right. So you can do that before every day before I go home. I do the same thing. I wait in my car a little bit because I do leave. I have an office that I come to every day and I sit in my car for a few for it takes. I call it the 18 second shift because I've timed it because I'm that nutty. And that's how long it takes to sit in my car for a moment to cl- mentally sort of close the door on the day. I, I I literally picture, I close my eyes and picture a big door closing. <laughs> I picture sometimes my yeah. clients like around the sides, you know, trying to get to me. I'm like, no, no, babies, we're, we're done for the day. And then I set an intention for how I want to be walking in the house because I personally am a control freak. I'm such an, I'm a con- uh, control enthusiast, as my man calls me. Uh, I love I control. I like that, control. <laughs> we're a control, control enthusiast. enthusiast. And I'm a controlling, bossy Jewish mommy. You're like, I am. And I can get home and be like, oh, where's the homework? Did we walk the dog? Who picked up this? Who put all the dishes? What? You know, and I'm in my mode. And everyone, I know this is hard to believe, but they don't like it. <laughs> they, they, they start to kind of back up. So when I stop and I just set that intention, I want to be of service when I get home. I want to be patient. Patience always my one. I want to be loving. I want to be kind. And I walk in the door with that energy. Everything shifts. Things still get done. We, we still do our homework. We still, right? Everything still happens. It's just in such a different mode. And most importantly, I feel better. Absolutely. Yeah. So to me, these are the things we want to be doing every day. And they literally take, literally, over the course of a day, if you set intention a few times, we're talking about minutes in your day. And what you can do if you forget, because a lot of my clients forget, I have them set uh, in a reminder in their phone for three times a day, whatever times you want. And and definitely, though, have one around like four o'clock or six o'clock, you know, at a time when you're often on autopilot and feeling kind of burnt. Uh, it's a really good time to set the thing to reset yourself before anything else. Right. And, and I also tell people those will become habits after a while. You'll start to do that just normally. So this, I don't know if this is okay uh, to talk about because you have another book coming up, but I feel like it's, it's like the title is just perfect for, for where we're at. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that, if that's okay. Yes, of course. Absolutely. So the negative thinking sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really, you know, it's interesting. There was a New York Times article re- recently about languishing that everybody was really jumping on. And that's, and my book was already doing that. So I'm really excited. I just have to get the thing out. But because I really want to put a program with it, because when I asked my listeners, what do you really need? A lot of people said we need our handheld a little bit. And I yeah. thought, oh, let me do more with this book so that it can really feel like something you do every day a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, like little, you know, just a few minutes a day. But really, so if you 
when you think about that as those negative thoughts come up, which we are geared to do, I so hopefully most people usually know this, but I'm just going to say it out loud. The ratio from the research is about three to one for every three positive thoughts you have, positive things that happen in your world. For every one negative, it cancels it out. <laughs> for every one thing that happens right. that you don't like, cancel it out. John Gottman, famous marriage researcher, has a five to one ratio in our romantic relationships because we have a, higher expectations of them. So get that. So for every five times I am wonderful to my man, for every one time I say something stupid, it cancels it out. It's unfair, but it is what it is. So It is what it is. We can work is, with what is what it is. Right? When you know, at least you can work with it. So I always think about that skew that I need to be working against the skew, right? It's already skewed negatively. That's the, that's the problem. And so what happens is we, and we get in a loop of that where thing, can I, can I share a little of the chemistry? Do we have time? Yeah, go okay? please. Okay. Yeah, go All right. for it. So here's the deal, right? So I'm just going to do this. I promise it'll be really easy to understand, but I want you to understand what's happening in your brain. So you understand why you have to stop it. So basically, most people know we have something called our amygdala, which is this fight, flight, or freeze part of our brain. Most people know that, fight, flight, or freeze. So let's say I have an argument with my partner, okay? Or I have a friend and we have a misunderstanding. My brain sees that as an emergency, That's, that a, a lion, a, a tiger is about to eat me, literally. That's how it sees it because we have this ancient hardwiring. So the, what happens is the amygdala gets lit up. Oh my God, there's a threat. This is a threat. This is something we should be scared about. My fight, flight, or freeze response happens, which signals another part of our, my brain called the hypothalamus, which sends out all the stress hormones. So I get cortisol, I get neuroadrenaline, I get adrenaline, right? You know, all these stress hormones. Right, get yep. So now I've got stress hormones coursing my body. By the way, when you if you've ever had a like something where your boss, maybe it's nine in the morning and your boss says, uh, I'd like to see you at two. Or <laughs> or your your partner's acting funny in the morning and you're like, Hey, are you okay? What's going on? And they're like, actually I'm not, but I have to go to work and I'll talk to you later. Th this to me is a divorce worthy thing. But anyway, uh, right? Do you know that feeling right. when your when your stomach drops out? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like your stomach just oh, drops absolutely. out. Absolutely. Like you're well, like, oh, what what's gonna happen? Oh Something's gonna happen horrible. So I have no bad. idea, but yeah. <laughs> so that feeling of your stomach dropping out is actually the blood rushing to your legs to run. Right. That is how old a response you are having. So I really want people to get that. You start to to sweat a little because you're supposed to be running from the tiger and you need to cool off your system. It's also so that if something grabbed you, you it would hopefully slide off because your skin becomes slick, right? Your pupils right. dilate. You can run in the dark. Your you know respiration increases. So you can run fast. I mean, all that is happening as you stand there with your coffee. <laughs> you don't move. Yep. So these and it's quick too. It's like it's boom. It's, it's in the moment. So here these stress hormones are now flooding your system. And here's the problem. You don't run, so you're not burning them off. They then signal this last part of your brain called your hippocampus, which is where, and your hippocampus is that part of your brain that's doing all the learning. So, okay, my boss said this, I said this, here was the situation. It takes everything and it puts it into a memory, right? So that we can remember that for the future. So, but it overestimates threats and underestimates opportunities because it's there to help you survive next time. Because remember, it right, thinks it's right, a tiger yeah. attacking you. And here's the really scary part. All those stress hormones shrivel and shrink the hippocampus. So now, I know. 
So now you're not even remembering things correctly. Okay. So now I'm not remembering things and I'm a drama queen. Your brain is a drama queen and is is overestimating all the threats. So thinks it's really bad. This is why you can't focus for all those hours until the meeting. This is why it's, you know, you're not really hungry. You're not, you know, maybe you're having a craving, all the good stuff, right? What, and now because I'm having all this anxiety, my amygdala gets signaled again that the lion is still here, that I still Mm. should be afraid. And so instead of this going away, instead of this feeling, you know, just releasing, we get in a loop. And, and now right. you, you're, uh, now you see, this is why, and now I'm in the loop. So now that gets fired again. My hypothalamus gets fired again. My hippocampus shrinks more, is, has less realism, has less ability to really respond in a realistic, rational way. And this is why we do crazy things. Yeah. Once we're in that response and all those chemicals are in our body, I've known that. I, I mean, if you're a human being, I think you've experienced that. <laughs> it's horrible. So what we really want to do is get in front of it. And that's that positive momentum I talked about, because here's the really cool part. You're, so this part of your brain, all this scary part of your brain I just described, there's a one superhighway that connects it to the rational part of your brain, which is your prefrontal cortex. So it's where all your right. problem solving your neocortex is right there where your compassion, your appreciation, all the good stuff lives. But this is where all your problem solving, long-term planning, solutions, judgment, insight, all of it lives over here. When your amygdala is lit up, that part of your brain, you can see it on functional MRIs, it looks like there's a blanket over it. It, it, it's, yeah. it can't light up. So that's why you can't think of all the great tools Abby talked about on the podcast <laughs> when you're upset, right? That's why they don't come to you till later when you go, oh, I should have said this, or why did I say that, or I can't believe I used over that, or whatever the thing is. So, right. But it goes the other way. So when you're in appreciation, when you're doing these things I was mentioning, just these tiny little things, being appreciative, being in your moment, setting intention, the amygdala can't light up. Because it's a one-way right. street. So the more you activate that part of your brain, the more little tiny things, you do not have to be meditating. You do not have to be on a mountaintop alone. You do not have to anything. Just those little tiny things, those little appreciations, those little setting intentions, 18 seconds, like I said, nothing. The amygdala doesn't light up as easily and it has a much harder time coming on path. So if you really want to stop thinking so negatively, you've got to start here. You've just got to start with those tiny little things, but don't go big. Don't go to, I I call it the next best feeling thought. And people, the problem is people jump to, so maybe I had a fight with my husband in the morning and they go to, oh no, but he's a good man. And I'm so lucky to have him. And I don't know what, right? No, no. Right now he's a jerk. I can't stand him. And I'm ready to divorce him because he took the knife directly from the peanut butter into the jelly. And there's now peanut right. butter in my jelly. And we're ready to end this relationship. <laughs> so do you see? You can't go from there. You can't get there from here, right? You can't go to that. Right. What you really need, and that's the mistake people make with quote unquote positive thinking. They jump to a place that they don't believe. And if your BS meter goes off, you're done. So it's really about just having that next best feeling thought. That So again, you have that positive momentum. Hopefully you start in the morning. 
and try to keep that all day. But there's going to be times when the yucky thing happens, right? So in the middle of your day, you get a tax bill. It's tax season right now. I got a lot of people complaining or whatever, or your partner complaining, whatever happens. And you get thrown off your game. You can't jump again to that really big place. You've got to just one little thing that you feel better about. And it doesn't have to be about your partner. Just one thing. Right. Like, um, you know, I really uh, feel great when I uh, walk in nature. <laughs> I right. love the feeling of expansiveness outside. I love seeing the sky and feeling how limitless it is. I love the, you know, crunching under my feet. And as you start to do that, guess what? You start to feel better because we feel the way we think, right? So, so, right. and from there, you can have a more rational thought about your partner. You still might not be in love with them. But you could have a little more, a little more of like, yeah, he was, you know, having a hard day today because they had an audit this week at work. I got to remember. It's still not fair that he's, still not fair though that he took it out on me. You know, as soon as your brain goes there, you went too far. You went too far. Just back it up, back it up, back it up. You know, and to again, to whatever broad, bigger thing you have to think about to feel better so you can disengage the amygdala and engage this other part of your brain go as big as you want, but people try to think good thoughts about their husband or whoever, and you're not there. So don't do it. It it has to be congruent. It has to be congruent. And I think that's such a great point because we do tend to go like, you know, we're in all this pain. We want to get out of the pain. We go all the way over here, but our body doesn't follow us. And then it doesn't work because this is a body sensation. This is a Mm -hmm. physical, emotional, affective change that we're looking for. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's such a great point. Well, yeah. wow. And the other thing, by the way, speaking of your body that you can do is when we look up, we are better able to access a more positive memories. When we look down, it's harder and, and it's easier to remember negative memories. It's probably why you pray looking down, <laughs> thinking right. of all the bad things you've done. Uh, so one of the very simplest things you can do is what's called the Superman pose or a superwoman pose, where you put your shoulders back and your chest out. It signals the brain that victory, it signals victory to the brain. Cause that's what people, you know, that's a universal symbol of victory is to hold your arms up all across the world all across time. So if you get in that Superman pose, and I even do it with my arms up, I, I go all the way, but at the very least, put your shoulders back because what you're doing in the, is actually taunting other people that you're not afraid of them by bearing your chest. But uh, what your brain signals is there's nothing to fear. And if you put right. your head up, even if you're in a room and you're looking at the ceiling, you will feel better, guaranteed. That's what happens. So notice your posture when you're doing that. And the other thing you can do that's really quick and easy is something I call the shoulder shrug. This has been studied at uh, Emory University is if you put your shoulders all the way up to your ears and then put your shoulders back, you know, your squeeze your scapula together and just let them rest, you will stop the flood of cortisol, this little bit of cortisol, because whenever you raise your shoulders, your brain thinks you're about to fight because that's the position for fighting. You start to raise, you bring your air up into your chest, right? You breathe out of your chest and you start to do that. And your brain signals to release stress-inducing hormones to help you fight, to help you run, to help you think on your feet really quickly like that. So we do it all day, not realizing we're doing it. We have our shoulders up. So just doing that, will help your stress response and help you think better. And it's such a quick hack. 
I love these small little things that you can do. And I love people to know, like, you don't have to make these huge changes. You know, it all starts with these very simple little things that you can start to do to shift your mood. And, mm-hmm. and I, I love that you're, you're saying these things because they're, they're so helpful and they're easy to do. And yep. if you're feeling this way, go try some of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, we are getting to our, our yeah. time. So this is a question I love to ask every guest that, that comes on to The Addicted Mind. It's just like, if someone's out there, they're listening, and you could tell them one thing, what message would you want to give them? Of course, because I listened to you, I already knew this question was coming. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, what am I going to say? At the end? You know, there's one thing I say a lot, and this is true, I think mostly for us addicts. And I always say, you know, your past doesn't equal your future. Your past equals your present. Everything you did before got you here. What you do now today equals your future. And it is not what you think. It took us 40, 50 years to get here sometimes and all that. It does not take 40 years to change. It's literally my clients change in, in a week. In a week, they feel better. It's you really truly, truly can because we have this power of knowledge of brain chemistry. So don't get hooked on your past. Really do. And don't get hooked on your future. Get hooked right now. What am I doing today? Today? What's the one thing I'm going to do? Awesome. Abby, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Oh, thank you. Well, at the website is really the best place, which is Abby Medcalf, M-E-D, C-A-L-F, it's D as in dog. So abbymedcalf.com. And uh, the podcast, Relationships Made Easy there. If people like these kind of tips, that's that's what my podcast is. It's me chatting. I'm not as good as you. I don't interview much. <laughs> um, I just, Jewish mother bossy teach from the research and really practical tips like we had today. That's what I do. And all about your relationships and how to make them better. Then, And that's where also the blog is and my YouTube channel. All the things you can access from there and following me on social media where I also give. Awesome. I will put all the links in the show notes as well at theaddictedmind.com. Thank you. Thank you, Abby, for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It was truly awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you left a review. That really does help get this podcast found or share the podcast with a friend. That would be awesome as well. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of 
how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.